Like Genesis 10, Genesis 11 also contains a genealogy. We're not going to trace it out in its entirety because it's still sizable, but it offers us some deep things to think about. It also addresses, of course, the Tower of Babel, and we will take a look at that. But after uh, studying for this sermon, I can safely say and humbly say that I learned something incredibly valuable as I studied the genealogies of Genesis 10 and Genesis 11. Now, for the most part, I uh, had to ask myself, why didn't I grasp this sooner? And I'm pretty sure that it was because I spent the first 20-some years of my life believing, as many people do, that the genealogies are totally boring. And why are they in the Bible? You know, kind of thing. And uh, yet, every time I spend some moments studying them more carefully, I learn something so incredible, I think, I have got to stop thinking that they're just filler in Scripture. Uh, kind of a link, a connecting point. There's more than that. So today I want to explore the genealogies of Genesis 10 and 11 uh, in order to answer this question. Can I or my family make a difference? Can I or my family make a difference? A question I would like you to ask yourself as well. The Underground Railroad was a network of secret routes and safe houses that managed to whisk escaped slaves away from their captors and into the freedom of free states and Canada. It helped African Americans escape those places and become free. Now, at great cost, someone, some families, had to operate those safe houses, right? At great risk and great cost, someone had to operate those places, that underground railroad. Now, when I lived in Ohio, Ohio very much embraces the notion that the underground railroad is part of their history. So you go there, you can buy books on the subject. It's quite interesting. Did you know that one of the safe house operators of the Underground Railroad became the first general conference president of Seventh-day Adventists? Did you know that? Incredible story, right? Of course, you've heard of this guy, right? Some of you have probably even seen the movie. Schindler's List, right? Oskar Schindler was a German industrialist and a member of the Nazi party who's credited with saving the lives of 1,200 Jews during the Holocaust. Again, at great risk and great cost. Have you ever asked yourself, would I have done this as well? Would I have done this as well? Did you know 
that a Seventh-day Adventist is also known and recognized and celebrated as a righteous Gentile, just as this man is. There's a book written about him. He, too, has a tree grown on that street where they have planted trees, celebrating the Gentiles who saved them during the Holocaust. A Seventh-day Adventist has a tree planted in his honor. Would you, at great risk and cost yourself, have done this? Attempted to be there in every way for the Jewish people as they were beyond belief persecuted as someone tried to exterminate them. And then, of course, there's the story I didn't include, but you can go and watch it if you haven't seen it already. The wonderful movie Hacksaw Ridge, which chronicles the exploits of Desmond Doss, a Seventh-day Adventist, right? Who wins a very important medal. The highest honor you can get in the military service for the work that he did at saving people's lives at great risk and great cost. He was never the same physically after he saved all those people. Great risk, great cost. Can we make a difference for God in this world? Can you and I make a difference for God in this world? Right here, right here in Walla Walla and College Place, can we make a difference for God? Can we? So, I'd like to read with you Genesis chapter 11. At one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words. As the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia, or Shinar, and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, otherwise... We shall be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower the people were building. And the Lord said, look, they are one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they plan to do will now be impossible for them. Come. Let us go down and confuse their language there so that they will not understand one another's speech. And so the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. This is the account, moving on to the genealogy part, of Shem's family. Two years after the great flood, when Shem was 100 years old, he became the father of Arphaxet. Now, we read earlier that Shem fathered five sons, right? 
But now we're going to read and just read about one particular son, his family line and his family line only. And if that's not all, the family line of Shem has switched from an earlier emphasis on a different great-great-grandson to the other great-great-grandson. So let me illustrate that. You remember this little chart that I created? Here are the five sons of Shem, listed up near the top in yellow, right? And then you can see that Shem's family, as we talked about, morphed into these different people groups. We said that Eber is where we get the word Hebrew from, right? Eber has two sons. What are their names? Peleg and Joktan, right? Joktan. Now, I want you to think about this, this guy right here because the story clearly is about him. We hear nothing about Peleg, and we hear everything about all the different children that he fathered at this point in the story. Why? Why do we hear only about him and his descendants? In Genesis chapter 10, Joktan's family is traced out. Peleg, we hear his name and that's it. Why? Because it is only Joktan's story that ultimately led to the building of the Tower of Babel. Which is why that story comes in Genesis chapter 11. It immediately follows a discussion of Joktan's family line. Just as earlier we saw in what? Genesis chapter 6 that Shem's family line married into Cain's family line and it was disastrous. What happened to the world? It becomes corrupt and incredibly violent. And as a result of that, what do we hear? The story of the flood, right? Now, we're going to find out that one of Shem's family members and his family line are completely responsible for the building of the Tower of Babel. And that is why we read about them. We read in Genesis chapter 10, verse 30, right at the end of, of Joktan's short genealogy, the territory in which they lived extended from Mesha in the direction of Sephar, the hill country of the east. And in Genesis 11, verse 2, it picks up that family line, and it says, And as they, Joktan's relatives, migrated from the east, they came upon a valley, a plain, in the land of Shinar, the land of Babylonia, and they settled there. So from Shem's overall genealogy, one vein of it, just one vein only, that family line is entirely responsible for building the Tower of Babel. They are entirely responsible for the rebellion against God that we read about in Genesis chapter 11 regarding the building of the Tower of Babel. What about the other vein? What about the other vein of the family? Shem's great-grandson Eber had two sons, right? What happened to the other son 
this guy right here. Do we ever read anything about him in the Bible? Does the Bible have anything to tell us about him? Yes, it does. And with a great deal of interest. In fact, the entire rest of the Old Testament covers his family line. Now that doesn't mean, by the way, that one of Shem's other sons, Aram, doesn't also show up, but it is to say very clearly that Peleg's family line is what the Old Testament is about. And so we take a look at the sons of Aber. We see these two family lines, Peleg, Joktan. Now, earlier we discovered that when we compared the different uh, genealogical records, Shem, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the sons of Noah, we saw, for example, that the line of Shem was traced out with a, more comprehensively. We went deeper into generations in that one because that's the family line that God wants to tell us about mostly, right? And so that's the family line that Jesus is born into and so on. There's a whole lot there in that family line that we need to, to learn about. Peleg is part of that family line. He continues it. After the discussion of the Tower of Babel, he brings a new, how can I say this, energy, godly energy into the picture of the Bible. And so Peleg, he gives birth to a son whose name is Ru, who gives birth to another, his son who is Sereg, who gives birth to Nahor, who gives birth to Tira, and now we're starting to walk on ground you're very familiar with because Tira is the father of Abraham. Tira has three sons, Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now, if you look at that genealogy, you might mistakenly assume that Abram was the oldest, but that's not true. Haran was the oldest. Abram was the youngest. In fact, the book of Genesis tells us story after story after story that even though the firstborn child should have been the person who receives not only two-thirds of his father's wealth, but also a spiritual heritage to lead his family in the ways of God, in the book of Genesis, it is always the youngest son who embraces God. And so here we see once again, this is the, 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 the beginning, well, actually it begins before that, it begins with Abel, right? And then it goes to Shem, and now it goes to Abram, and then it will go to Isaac, and to Jacob, and to Joseph. He's not quite the youngest, but awfully close, right? So, one of the things we learn when we see this story is that these two veins of Shem's line are different. This family line did not contribute to the building of the Tower of Babel. You hear nothing more about them. Once Peleg's name is mentioned, he goes off the scene until we get past the Tower of Babel story and we begin the energy, the newfound energy about godly people following God with power 
doing what God wants them to do. Peleg's family apparently took seriously when God said, I want you to fill the earth. They kept on the move, kept doing what God wanted them to do, kept heading where God wanted them to go. We know that because later we read about this family. Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife. And they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there in the days of Terah, where 205 years and Terah died in Haran. Now, whether they settled there for purely good reasons is uh, something you can discuss. It could be that Terah was getting old enough that travel was difficult for him, and so they camped, as it were, for quite some time. They settled down there for a while, and they let him finish out the years of his life. But in Genesis chapter 12, you hear God call Abram to go into the land of Canaan. And the assumption then is that God called Terah to begin that journey, along with his son Abram. And so this family line is on the move. They are headed to the place God wants them to go. And we read, of course, just before this passage, that Terah's firstborn son, Haran, dies before his dad does. Now that is a painful thing, uh, a very difficult thing. One of our own church members here recently had that happen uh, when her son died before she did. And the Bible actually chronicles for us the two times in the book of Genesis that a son died before the parents. First one is Abel, who's murdered. This guy, apparently Haran, he dies of, you know what today, what you might call natural causes. He maybe died of old age, maybe had medical issues, but he died before his dad. Very unusual given the fact that most of these people were living longer lives than we do. But it was after the death of his brother Haran and after the death of his father Terah that Abram moves on to Canaan. What happened to Abram's brother, Nahor? I mean, one brother died. What happened to the other brother? He stayed on in the Ur of the Chaldees area. He continued on. Did he go on to Canaan? No. Did he continue to be a person of God? Mm. Some, right? Some. I mean, one of the reasons why we say some and why the reason why we think he lost his godly moorings is what we read about his children. On the plus side, who did Abraham marry? Sarah, right? And so that's an incredible thing. She's a descendant uh, of some of these people. And then, of course, we hear about Rebekah, who is a direct descendant of Nahor. And she appears to be, how can I say this? A person with a godly background. Isn't that why Abraham sent his servant over to, to find her for Isaac? Because she has a godly background? Apparently there was some godliness still circulating in that family. But when we read the story about Rebekah's brother Laban, he serves other gods, right? He has idols. Not a good thing. And so we see in the story of this family line some definite difficulties. 
They did not stay true to God. Abram marries Sarai. Isaac marries Rebekah. Right? And they, be, they become the fathers and mothers of everyone who serves the true God. In fact, the Bible says that Abraham and Sarah are the fathers of those who express faith in God, period. If you have faith in God, you are in this family line, the, the people of faith, according to Scripture. And, of course, because the Bible adds Sarah and Rebecca to the family line, ladies, you're not off the hook of this question. Can I or can my family make a difference in this world? Can we make a difference? When we look at this family line, we can see that after the flood, there are only two veins to the family line. The vein on the right, they build the Tower of Babel. The vein on the left slowly begins to lose their moorings and faith in God, but some of them stay faithful. Abram, in particular, stays faithful to God. He embraces God. So the one side of the family line builds Babel. The other side goes on a journey of faith in the one true God. Can you and I, maybe as single people, solitary person can we make a difference for God and if you're married can you and your family make a difference for God well addressing the single people how many of you remember the apostle Paul was he single yes he makes it very clear he was not married did he make a difference for God oh yeah wrote most of the New Testament for example set up a whole bunch of churches all over the world, ministered to, well, to us today. I mean, his impact is huge as a single person. Abraham and Sarah were married. Look what their family line did for God. I said the scriptures are clear. Everyone who expresses faith in God belongs to their family, according to the Bible. And if you have faith in God, that would include you. It would include all the people who preceded you. Thousands of years worth of people who may have preceded you. Does it take a lot of people to accomplish something significant for God? One person or one family can make a huge impact according to these genealogies. One person or one family can do it. One family line built the Tower of Babel. The other family line birthed us Abraham, whose family line gives us Jesus. Incredible story. Listen to what King Saul's son Jonathan said. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether he works through many or few. Does not matter to God. 
You may be a single person by choice or maybe by death or divorce or who knows what. You could be a single individual. Yet your life can be a powerful testimony to the love of God. You could be married. Yes, you, just your little family, just you. And you could still make a powerful impact for God. Huge impact for God. One that would go through thousands of years if time permits. Are you and I learning about God on a daily basis? Are we learning about him, new stuff every day? Like others before us who are people of faith, are we stepping out and walking by faith, following God wherever he may lead us, doing the things that God wants us to do, whatever they might be? Are we attempting to make a difference for good for God here in Walla Walla Valley? How are we using our time? How are we using our energy, our influence, our resources? Are we using all these things for God to make a good impact for him? The Bible teaches us that we as individuals and we as just a small family are important. A single family and a family line can do amazing things. Amazingly bad things and amazingly good things. How about you? How about me? Are we making a difference for God? Are we doing what God wants us to do or are we just coasting through life? What choices are we going to make tomorrow and the following day? For I think just as it was in the days of Peleg, so it is today. As the scriptures tell us, in his days, a division took place. Today, a division is also being made daily. Those who become people of faith and make a difference, and those people who do not. Will we follow God? or not because that will determine whether we will make an amazingly good difference or the other kind of difference as I look through the story of these two veins of the family line I think about how God wanted people to scatter through the earth and it seems to me like it would have been a good thing if everyone had stayed speaking the same language. If I want to share my faith in God with you, isn't it good that I don't have to go through great hoops in order to do it? Like learn your foreign language? Isn't that easier? Yeah. One family line complicated sharing the news about God. They complicated it big time. The other family line did what they could to restore God in the picture. Is that what you are doing? 
as a single person or as a family, are you putting God back in the picture and making a difference? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for giving us an opportunity to make an impact in our world. We enjoy knowing that we are important, so important that our life and our family's lives can, can make a vast difference. Yet God, many times we mess up and the difference that we make is catastrophic. Would you forgive us of our mistakes and put our feet on the right path and help us to make a powerful impact for good. To help people around us in every way. And help them also to know you as a loving God.